Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Um, we're going to find our place in uh, your copy of God's Word in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to continue on with our study of 1 Peter. Uh, the headline of this series is uh, The Fellowship of His Suffering. That's really the theme, kind of the big idea of 1 Peter, and we're going to continue on with it, and I think it's appropriate in this time. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, worry, a lot of fretting, and a lot of concern right now, uh, but I think our first call as believers is to be Christians. That's our first call. That's who we are. And this, this book really talks about what that looks like. What does that mean to be a Christian in this era, in this time, in this, uh, this uh, moment in time? So we're going to look in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. My text really is going to be verse 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. So chapter 3, verse 13, going down to verse 17. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that here over the next minute or so. But I, I want to begin by just reminding you uh, that, I'll just say it this way, Christians have something to look forward to. We've got a future, we've got a reward, we have amazing things to look forward to, but, but it requires that we're Christians. We are I'll call us verse 8 people. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he says this is what Christians are supposed to look like. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Christians are people who have the mind of Christ. That's what that one mind is. People, people who have compassion for each other. People who love one another like a family loves each other. People who are pitiful or tender-hearted for each other. People who are courteous, they're humble, they put others first. That's what Christian people are like. They are people who, as he says, I think it's in chapter 2 and verse 21, if you want to look at that, he says that we are following in his steps, the steps of Christ. That's what Christian people are. When we say we follow Jesus, that's kind of a tagline that we use here at this church. When we say we, are, we follow Jesus, that's what we mean. We're literally following in his steps, even though that may mean suffering. That's what Christian people are. So we're verse 8 people, that chapter 3, verse 8. Those are the kind of people that we are. But verse 8 people get verse 12 treatment. Go to verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. For the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So in other words, people that are like Christ, who follow after Christ, who are verse 8 people, then we get God watching over us. We get God answering our prayers. We get God reconciling us. We get God also on our behalf revenging, if that's what needs to be done. He, he is the one who does that. We get that. We get those Christian rewards. We get those verse 9 blessings. Look here in verse 9 where it says, you know, those people that are in verse 8, they don't render evil for evil, etc. But he goes on and says that they should inherit a blessing. We've got a blessing to look forward to. Um, I won't reread the passage, but if you were to go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, you can actually see what that, that, that reward looks like, that blessing looks like. It's an incorruptible blessing. 
It's undefilable. It's never going to fade away. It's, it's pure. It's perfect. It even goes through the fire and is refined. I believe that that blessing that we get is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We get that. That's what we get as Christians. If we're verse 8 people, people who have the mind of Christ, who love one another, who look at putting others first, we, we follow after in the footsteps of Jesus. If we're those kinds of people, we get the blessing of having God on our side. We get the blessing of having eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's what we get. So then let's look at our beginning text. He says in verse 13, this is our text tonight, if that's all true, even in suffering, if that's all true, then look at what he says, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? If you're Christian, folks, you get the blessings of Christ. If you're following Jesus, you get the blessings of eternal life. If you're following after him, you've got God on your side. If you're a Christian, if you're truly one of his, who in the world can take the blessings of God from you? The answer, of course, the rhetorical question, the answer is nobody. Nothing can be taken away from you. It can't come away from you. Uh, and if you're doing the right thing in a normal society, and I recognize we don't always live in a normal society, but in a normal society, I think the, the gist of his question is, who's going to harm you if you're doing the right thing? I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're a good neighbor and you're doing good things, uh, people ain't going to get too mad about that. Now, I know that that's not always the case, and, and I think Peter recognized that, that there are times when we have a, an evil culture that does turn against, they call good evil and evil good. So, but he's saying under normal circumstances, people are not even going to have a bad feeling about that if you're doing the right thing. But even if they do, who really can ultimately take away my blessings? Nobody can. Nobody in the world. So he says there, who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? What I want to take just a few minutes tonight, we'll go look at the rest of these verses in just a moment, but what I want to take a few minutes tonight and do is realize that we have a reward that's coming, and because that reward is coming, and there's no one that can take it away, nothing that can diminish it, it is going to be perfect and eternal and always improving, in fact. If that's the case... There's a couple of things we need to do and things we ought to be, how we ought to operate as Christians, and we'll see this in this passage. Before I go any further, though, I want to just take a second and ask the Lord to help me as I preach this to you and help you as you hear it. Let's pray together. Father, please work in this moment as we have folks that are listening in. They need a word from you. They don't need to hear from Matthew. They need to hear from God. They need to hear the eternal word of God, and I pray that you'll take your word and your Holy Spirit will apply it to hearts and you will change us and transform us. And we ask this in the name of my Savior, Jesus. Amen. Christians are going to receive a reward. It's, it's a foregone conclusion. We're going to get that. Nothing can take it away from us. So because of that, again, verse 13, who is it that will harm you? Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Well, of course, the answer is nobody, no one. That's not possible. Now go to verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, he does acknowledge there will be some who try to harm you, some who try to hurt us, and we have to suffer for righteousness' sake. He says, if there's somebody that does that, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Essentially, he's saying, we don't need to be afraid of evil men. We don't need to fear them. In fact, Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 10, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. 
but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So we not, as Christians, because we have that reward that's never going to be taken away, it's an eternal reward, it's an incorruptible reward, we don't fear men. We're not threatened by them. It's sort of like, uh, was it, Br'er Rabbit? You know, thre- threaten me, throw me in that briar patch. You're like, oh yeah, don't throw me in that briar patch. That's kind of, that was that idea. That's, that, that's exactly what we are. Then we're not threatened by them. It's not a threat. You can't take it away from me, so why bother trying? We're not, as he says there, continue on in, in that. He says, neither be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. We don't let it bother us. That's the idea of the word trouble. We don't let it bother us. Instead, what do we do? So we're not fearing evil men if we're following after Christ. We're not fearing evil men. Instead, what does he say in verse 15? But instead of that, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, if you're listening and following along there, that word sanctify, you probably are kind of in your mind making a calculation that means something like holy, setting it apart. Well, if, if you're thinking, you say, well, well, God is already holy. Well, yeah, he is holy. He's automatically holy. That's one of his characters, characteristics, excuse me. It's one of his characteristics. He's holy. But what he's commanding here is that we as believers set him apart. We make him special to ourselves. He's already holy. We can't make him any more holy, but to ourselves, we set him apart. We set him up. The way I've been thinking about this as I've been thinking about this passage is it's kind of like we set Jesus up on a pedestal. You ever set anybody up on a pedestal? Uh, you kind of put them up there and say they, they can do no wrong. Unfortunately, man can do wrong. But Jesus, you can put him on a pedestal. He won't fail you. He's not going to let you down. You can go ahead and put him up there. He's already holy. He's already perfect. So go ahead and put him on a pedestal. Why am I saying that? Well, what he's saying here is ultimately we need to make Jesus our focus. If we're people who follow after Christ, and our reward can't be taken away, instead of looking at all the people that are around us and all the people that are hurting our feelings and making us mad, and maybe even rightly, they're hurting us, and we've got to be concerned about it, instead of us fearing and being bothered by it, we're going to say our focus isn't going to be on the world around us, like Peter when he was on that water, not on those waves, but our focus is instead going to be on Christ. It's going to make him our focus, not what man thinks, not what man does, not what man says, In fact, this passage here, Peter is referencing back over to Isaiah where he says, and I like the way he says it in Isaiah. It's actually almost a a direct quote, but it's slightly different. It says, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He's saying in Isaiah, and this is what Peter's picking up in this passage, he's saying, don't worry about what other people are saying, the only one whose, whose opinion matters to you is Jesus. What does he say? So instead of, we're going we're to make him to be the preeminent one in our lives. Instead of responding to the culture around us, what is the media saying? What is this person's opinion? I'm going to, if I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to obey Jesus. No questions. Going to go obey Jesus. Yeah, there are some people that when I do that, they're going to say, well, why are you doing that? I don't understand. You're different. You're strange. I don't like that. We're going to say, well, I want to help you, but I'm going to follow my Jesus. He's the one who has preeminence. Instead of conforming to the trends around me, to the expectations that other people have for me, and people have all kinds of expectations for you and me, but instead of that, I'm going to honor Jesus. Instead of envying, instead of getting angry with people, instead of defending myself to other people, what I'm going to do is follow in the footsteps of my Savior. And what did he do? 
He sacrificed himself for people around him to help them. He gave his own life that the world might go free. That's what he did. And we're going to follow in his footsteps. So because our, they can't take our reward away. Now, I, I can tell you, if, if that was ever in danger, if I thought eternal life was at stake, I might do some things differently. But I can tell you, my eternal life is set and secure. It's anchored in Jesus. So because of that, what I can do is I can say, he's the one that I'm going to sanctify. I'm going to put him as holy. I'm going to put him on a pedestal. I'm going to do whatever he says. I'm going to follow him without reservation or question. Now, once I do that, I might have to explain a few things. Go with me to verse 15. He says there, once you sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready, he says, always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says you need to be ready with a defense, with an explanation. You need to have an answer for why it is you're doing what you do. Now, we ought to have the answer of Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. He's the one I'm following. There's some explanation of that. That's what we should be ready to do. And, and we need to have that answer, and we need to be ready to give that answer to a world that has a need. What we're going to be doing in a phrase, in a, in a short sentence, is we're going to be pointing people to Jesus. We're going to be showing him. We're going to live in such a way that Jesus has the preeminence. Then folks are going to ask us questions, and we're going to have an answer for what's going on. We're going to be able to, with our word, explain that. We're going to follow in his steps. Now, we're going to do so. He goes on to say, look at how he says this in verse 15. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you. But those last two, two or three words there, meekness and fear. There's a proper attitude. Now, remember, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus here. So Jesus, if there was ever a meek and respectful, a gentle and respectful person, it was our Savior. He was gentle and he was respectful. He was not belligerent. He had every right to be, but he was not. So what do we do? Whenever somebody asks us, we're answering, we're sharing Jesus with people, not in a forceful, mean, angry way. Unfortunately, too many Christians are marked by how mean and angry and forceful they are. We are supposed to be meek or gentle people. That's the kind of people that we are. And we're also doing it with fear. And that, that fear there is that idea of respect. We're doing this in a respectful way. We're respecting the person we're sharing Jesus with. Uh, we're not trying to belittle them. Oh, I can't believe you're an atheist or a Mormon or a Muslim or whatever. No, no, they're people. They, they, have been, they, they do not understand. They, they've been blinded to the truth of the gospel. So we don't need to be ugly to them, disrespectful to them. No, we're going to be respectful to them as people. We're going to respect the message. In other words, why would I want to bear the message of our Jesus Christ who's died on the cross to save people from sin? Why would I want to do that in a disrespectful, flippant way? No, it's, a, it's an honorable message. I want to share that in a proper way. And of course, don't disrespect the power of God. I think sometimes I can be guilty of this one where I'll preach the gospel and I'll share the truth with people and then, and then I'll assume that it's on my shoulders to transform their lives. The fact is, when we're sharing this gospel, we can actually have fear knowing full well that God is the one who ultimately changed people's, changes people's lives. He's the one that does that. My job is merely to share, to show, to answer, to have that answer for that hope that's in me. That's my job. The Lord's job is the one to change people's hearts. So that's what we must do. So we've got to be respectful of the power of God as well. So our job then is to share Jesus with those people around us. Now, when you do have that opportunity, first of all, like I said, we need to do that with respect and gentleness, no matter how mean they are, and sometimes they can be pretty mean. 
but we're going to be respectful, we're going to be gentle. And in this particular moment in time, this is kind of a unique moment in time, at least it is in my lifetime, it's a very unique moment where, I mean, you can't go to the grocery store that often, you want to try not to go that often because there's not that much there to begin with, and you want to be careful not to go out too much, I mean, some people don't worry about it, but I think a lot of people are very concerned, and so it's a very, very unusual time. So when I say share the gospel, it might not necessarily mean go door to door in your neighborhood and share the gospel. People may not be real receptive of that. But you still do have your phone, and you can talk to people on the phone. You can text them. You have social media. A lot of us do, and we can connect with people in social media avenues. Uh, there's going to be some conversations you're having. It could be friends. It could be neighbors. It could be coworkers that you're having with people that are naturally happening because we're all a little bit uneasy because of this time and that just I know that because I've had these conversations with people even today about they're just feeling a little uneasy about things it naturally opens the door for things and all you have to do is simply have an answer as he says there give an answer of the reason of the hope that is in you if there's hope in you you ought to be able to share that even if you're just talking to somebody about how how there's there's not any uh, toilet paper at the grocery store or how there's you know whatever the issue is you're talking about that that can easily turn into how you have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ so don't don't miss that even in this moment we have an opportunity to have an answer for the hope that's in us and of course I don't want to miss this especially some of you that are watching you have young children at home don't miss the fact that this is not just for that neighbor or our coworker. You have children who need to know the answer of the hope that lies in you. So moms and dads right now have children who, I don't know how they're acting because I haven't been around them because I've been around my kids, but your children might be acting concerned, nervous, afraid about things. And if they are, as a parent, you need to be able to show them that there is a reason to have confidence because our Savior, our God is in control, and you need to have that answer to lie, that lies within you. So don't miss it. Your mission field literally might be in your own living room. You have that opportunity. Take advantage of it, and you may even have advantage of that, take advantage of that opportunity now in ways that haven't been available to you because your kids are at home. They can't go to school right now. So don't miss that. Let's, let's make sure we don't miss that. Now, finally, though, I want to go back down to the passage. If you'll look with me in verse 16. After we've sanctified the Lord in our hearts, so he's got the preeminence, we share the truth of Jesus with our word. But he says in verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they, might, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you good, your good conversation in Christ. You see, whenever your heart is changed, your heart is now focused on Christ, not on the world around you, it will change what comes out, your words, what we were just talking about, but it also ought to change how you act. The way of your life. That's what he's talking about with the word conversation in verse 16. That's their, your lifestyle, the way that you live your life. We need to live in such a way that when they accuse us of wrongdoing, this is what he's saying in verse 16, when they accuse us of wrongdoing, if anybody knows you, they know that those people are lying. Now, unfortunately, that's not the case for some Christians. People falsely, or excuse me, accuse you of wrongdoing, and they'll say, yep, I know, ain't that, ain't that a shame that he or she is like that? That's the reputation that we have because we live in a way. But he says we need to live so that when those accusations come, our good conversation, our good lifestyle says they're, they're, not, tell, they're not telling the truth. That's a lie because that's not the way that person lives. He says there that we need to have a good conscience 
We don't need to be doing this out of hypocrisy. As Christians, too many of us are doing what we do because it looks good to other people, but we don't have a good conscience because when we're in our moments alone, when we're in those moments when no one knows what's actually going on is different than what the world around us sees. He says, that's not a good conscience. You need to have a good conscience so you're not a hypocrite about this thing. And we don't need to give our enemies, those people who would naturally be enemies of the cause of Christ, don't need to give them cause they're going to speak evil of you as evildoers. There's going to be people out in this world that may well do that, but we don't need to give them a reason to do that. Instead, your life should back up the word that you've been giving in verse 15, that answer, as you, as you give that answer for the hope, your life backs that up so that immediately when it comes out of your mouth, it's got credibility. They know that's the kind of person that I need to listen to because I see the way they live. I, I see what happens in their life on a day-to-day basis. And again, I'll just bring this back home again. Not only are we talking about your co-workers and, and people in your neighborhood, some of you parents, you've got children in your living room. They see you in a way that nobody else sees you. And I know this because I've got children that see me in ways that nobody else sees me. So our life needs to back up our word, which has got to flow from a heart that's given Christ the preeminence. Now we represent Jesus Christ, and we may well suffer for that, but we we will actually always be rewarded for that. And what we need to do, because we will be rewarded, we need to live like it. We need to live like we are victors. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We need to live in that way. This last verse, verse 17, he says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for for well-doing than for evil-doing. He says, there's no guarantee that you're going to suffer. He's he's suggesting here it could happen, it could not happen. In fact, uh, the the people who, uh, who, who, the scholars looking at this, believe that Peter was writing right before major persecution was about to hit. So it wasn't quite there yet, but it was on the horizon. And he's saying, you know, that may happen. There's no guarantee it's going to be suffering, but there's also no guarantee that you're not going to suffer. He said it could come, it may not come. But whenever it does come, and this is interesting, whenever that suffering does come, or it doesn't, whichever way it is, if you're following after Christ, here's the thing, if you follow after Christ, you make Christ preeminent in your life, you share the word of Christ no matter what, and you live as if you're following after him. The focus of your life is him. Whatever comes is the will of God. That's what he's saying. Now, that is interesting. What a reward. I'm not having to wait on this reward. I don't have to wait till I die. When I die, I'm going to get amazing rewards in heaven from Christ. But I don't have to wait till then. I can right now follow after Christ, be rewarded knowing full well that I'm doing God's will. What a reward. What a reward. Now, you're going to be rewarded, as I said, now in this life by doing God's will, as well as eternally, having eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we just need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Right now, in this moment, we've got, I wouldn't say we have more time, we just have different kind of time, especially some of you that work and you're not able to go to your job especially if your children are out of school. It changes the kind of time you have. It's not that you have more time, it's just different time. And so think about this as a time to get your eyes on the Lord, not on your circumstances. It's easy to do that right now. It's real easy to do that. It's like there's so many things drawing your mind. As the the psalmist says, be still and know that he's got. Find a way, find a way 
to get your eyes on the Lord. Put him back on that pedestal where he belongs. Get your job off the pedestal. Uh, get, get, get your entertainment off the pedestal. Get going out to eat off the pedestal. All those things that we tend to, to focus on. Get those things off and put the Lord where he belongs in our lives. Give him the preeminence. This is the time to do that. Make a point to do that. So whenever this is over, I hope it's only a couple weeks, but if it's a couple of months or whatever it ends up being, you know that you're using this time wisely and getting him back where he belongs in your life. And then every opportunity you have, when you do that, you're going to try to share the Lord. And now, more than ever, you're going to have to pray for those opportunities because they may not happen as naturally. You're not sitting at the restaurant or going to the grocery store or going out to the, to the office or the job site. You're not doing those things as much or going to school activities. You're not doing those things. So you're going to have to pray for those opportunities. But when you have them, be, be on alert for them. Share the Lord Jesus with folks and live for Jesus. Even though maybe not as many people are watching our lives at this moment, as I've tried to suggest very strongly, there's more people watching than we even give, us, give, give credit to. And this is an opportunity that the Lord can use your life in a way that you may not even recognize. If you'll live for the Lord, we can see people affected, changed, because I know it's the will of God for us to live Christ. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.